Good evening, everybody. Good to see you here tonight. We're glad that you could join us here on campus for this week's midweek Bible study. And for those of you that are joining us via Facebook Live and live stream, we'd like to say welcome to you as well. Whenever uh, God established his covenant with Israel, he revealed his kindness through the law. I know we don't often talk about the law in this way, but Deuteronomy 10 and 18 says that he is one who executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. So he gave his law to his people not to turn them into legalists, but to have them display his character and bring glory to his name through obeying his rules for kindness. And part of that law created a framework for people that found themselves in difficult circumstances. Last time I was in this uh, pulpit on a Wednesday night, I, I talked to you a couple of times actually about the value of connections. And I talked to you about Ruth and there's more to that story because Boaz, later on in the story of Ruth, obeyed the law's instruction by extending his invitation to Ruth to come and eat and don't go to another field to glean, but stay here in this field where you'll be protected. And, and he told his workers, don't just let her glean, but drop some of the, the choice pieces of grain for her to pick up. See, Boaz had received God's kindness, and so he realized that he, in turn, should share that kindness with others. And Ruth discovered God's heart as a result of what Boaz did for her. On top of that, Boaz's graciousness was paired with generosity because he not only invited Ruth to feast, but gave her a seat among his harvesters. And he encouraged her to not just eat, but to eat her fill. And he allowed her to take some of those best sheaves of grain, not just what was left over. And even though they were socially different and racially different and culturally different, he did not alienate her. He did not keep her at arm's length. But quite the reverse, Boaz went beyond what the law required whenever it came to being kind and making a connection with someone. I want you all to think about that this evening. Just give you a few announcements before pastor comes. First of all, of course, camp meeting is going on right now. We'll continue in Tioga up through the 8th of July. We also want to remind you once again that on the 10th of July, the Sunday after camp meeting, our young adult class will be launching in the A Center at 10 a.m. And this is for all of our uh, Graceites that are college age up to the age of 40. And then also on Sunday, July 10th, uh, there will be a meeting at 6 p.m. in the A Center for all of those that have signed up to be a connect group leader. And then finally, the last thing we want you to remember is that uh, the Mother's Memorial offering deadline is July 22nd. So those are our announcements this evening. Before Pastor comes, I want you to look at somebody close to you. 
Sister Sheila, I don't know who you're going to look at. There's not anybody close. Maybe you and Julia can make eye contact over there since you're sitting by. Look at somebody close to you. Look them right in the eyeballs. Look them right in the eyeballs and tell them, I am so glad that you got to see me this evening because I look good. God bless you this evening as Pastor comes. Good evening, everybody. Great to see y'all, and uh, thank you for being here, and uh, we appreciate you praying for <clears throat> our folks who are at camp meeting tonight, that God would minister to them, challenge them, and so on, and uh, I'm glad they're there, and I'm glad to be here. Thank the Lord. Great to see all of you here tonight. I need you to stand with me tonight, if you would. Uh, Chris and Hannah Lewis welcomed their new and first little baby girl into the world this weekend and her name is Willow Grace and um, we're able to take her home from the hospital but Chris just texted and said it looks like she may be having some physical issues and they're taking her back to the hospital and ask us to pray let's do that right now everybody would you pray with us Jesus we love you tonight and uh, you love this baby you loved her from the minute she was conceived in the womb. She belongs to you. You generously gave her to Chris and Hannah. And you know what's going on in her body. And I pray, God, that you would be with them, with her, that you would touch your sweet little infant, touch her body, heal her body. Our faith is in you. Our confidence is in you. And uh, we're expecting. We've come tonight expecting some good things from you. And this would be a good place to start. Pray that you administer to Chris and Hannah. Be with them during this time keep them strengthened encouraged and god certainly keep little miss willow in the very palm of your hand and we thank you for it in jesus name and everybody say amen thank the lord okay now look at the person you just looked at and tell them the pressure is all mine <laughs> thank don't do that really great to see all of you tonight give somebody a fist bump if they're close by and uh god bless you and you may be seated we had a marvelous church service this come this last Sunday, and uh, I just told Brother Dave in the office, every time I think a Sunday is amazing and God just can't top it, somehow he does. And uh, I truly meant what I said Sunday while preaching. Uh, our young people were so inspired. Uh, most of them just hit the aisles and did a couple of three laps around the, the church. I appreciate that so very much. I meant what I said, that they have set a precedent for the Spirit of the Lord to fall any time during a church service, especially during the preaching. And I believe people can receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost while the preaching is going on. If these folks can just stand up and, and worship the Lord, why can't somebody without the Holy Ghost stand up and lift their hands and receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost? And you don't have to end service. We'll clap and rejoice that they receive the Holy Ghost and just keep right on going, right? And uh, as we did Sunday, I applaud our, our youth group. They are just simply outstanding and i would like to tell you folks that are here and again a lot of them are at the campground we're accustomed to this at grace church there's about four weeks the three camps and then camp meeting that if they can get up there they're going and that's where most of them are tonight but our district superintendent uh preached here a couple of months ago brother daryl weber and um, uh, my son and daughter-in-law attend the church that he started in lafayette his son is a pastor now and uh, 
but he saw Marcus and Cassie at church, Brother Daryl Weber did, and said, hey, I preached for your dad, had some very nice things to say about the church and whatnot, but said their youth group is ever more fired up. So our district superintendent took notice. So uh, y'all feel, feel pretty amazed by that. I thought that was wonderful. Thank the Lord. Uh, last Wednesday night, as you know, I started a Bible study about faith, and uh, I felt extremely compelled uh, to teach that Bible study last Wednesday night, and I was very overwhelmed over uh, even after church last Wednesday night and in the several days uh, after that at the, the different texts and comments that people made about the Bible study, for which I'm very, very thankful. But in particular, last Wednesday night, my niece was here. Uh, she's from Atlanta, was visiting her mom in Florida, and then drove over for several days to visit with uh, Casey and Chris and their, her, their family. And uh, she told me Wednesday night after church, uh, she said, I, I realized why I came. I drove several hours to hear that Bible study. And uh, Casey even affirmed that uh, Sarah took about eight pages of notes uh, during last Wednesday night's Bible study. And she said it's exactly what she needed. So God knows how to work. And uh, if it was only for her, he would have constructed that whole entire service, ordained it to happen, and uh, just for one person. And I've seen him do it many, many times, and I'm thankful for that. But tonight I'd like to make an effort to finish it. Uh, I was not teasing last Wednesday night when I told you I came to pulpit with 15 pages of notes. And um, so we're halfway through. Uh, so we'll, we'll get through the rest of it tonight, Lord willing. I would like to read our scripture setting again in Romans chapter 4, uh, just to remind you of the, the biblical context. Paul, writing about Abraham, said, As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calls those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken. So shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about an hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And then we read from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, the wise man said, He, speaking of God, he hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also he has set the world in their heart, so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. One translation said God does everything just right and on time, but people can never completely understand what God is doing. Uh, so very, very true. I introduced this Bible study last Wednesday night by saying the 120 obeyed Jesus when they went to the upper room, but when they got there, they waited. They had to wait. They were not endued with power instantly. They had to wait. Everybody said they had to wait. It seems to be a precedent that God has set in the church. In the very beginning of the church, it started by waiting on God. 
And all of us here tonight, in one way or another, are waiting on God for something. And it just doesn't seem like God moves quite fast enough for us. And uh, that is a true statement. So last Wednesday night, I introduced to you the six phases of faith that's based on the life of Abraham. First, it began with a dream, and then it began with a decision. He had to obey God. He had to make a decision to obey. And then there was delay. Then there was difficulty. Then there was a dead end. And then finally, there was deliverance, the six phases of faith. We started out with the fact that we must remember the promise of God. So we went through all of those things. And again, I'm not here tonight to reteach that. And I've concluded last Wednesday night with what I want to begin with here tonight. That when you're in a position, you're waiting on God, and you may feel like you're in the one of the six different phases of faith we talked about last Wednesday night. What do you do when you're waiting on God? What, what should your posture be when you're waiting on God? First of all, remember what God can do. And I concluded with this last Wednesday night. Remember what God can do. The situation may be out of your control. Any situation in your life, doesn't matter what it is, and it doesn't matter to the degree of severity you may think it's, it's, it is. It doesn't matter how tragic you may think it is. There is nothing that is ever out of God's control. What kind of God would he be if he could create some, if he would create something that he himself could not take control of if he needed to? So you can't focus on what God can't do. You focus on what God can do. Again, from our text, Romans 4, 17, as is as written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him who he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead and calls those things which be not as though they were, and only God can do that. This verse is literally the definition of a miracle. One translation said in Romans 4, 17, Abraham believed in God who gives life to the dead and who creates something out of nothing. The definition of a miracle. In a miracle, here's what happens. Either God gives life to something that was dead or he creates something out of nothing. The definition of a miracle. And really, that's what it's all about. It's what God can do. He can give life to a dead career. He can give life to a dead marriage. He's done that here at Grace Church. He can give life to dead dreams, dead finances. He can bring something out of nothing. Jesus said anything is possible if you have the faith. So notice something very important. What did Abraham put his faith in? I believe very strongly here tonight. The Bible said that every man is given a measure of faith, and I believe that. The question you and I should ask ourselves is not do we have faith or not. The Bible says we do. God gave us a measure of faith. The question we need to ask is what are we putting our faith in? And I think that's where a lot of the breach is between you and I getting some of our prayers answered and some of our de desires met. So Abraham 
had faith, the question to ask is what did he put his faith in? What did he believe in? Did he believe in himself? No record of it. Did he believe in his feelings? God help us. No record of it. Did he put his faith in faith? He didn't do that either. Did he practice positive thinking? No. Abraham illustrated throughout his life, and the Bible said he staggered not at the promise of God. He believed in God. And I want to clarify here tonight, I, I know a lot of people um, that have what I call these very annoying personalities that everything's happy. Just <laughs> everything. They, just, they live in a per perpetual fantasy land kind of thing. They have their personality. They're always bouncing off the wall and everything's chipper and how you doing? Oh, it's great. And, and you just know after a while that everything isn't great. Well, let's just be real. Now, I may be considered to be a Debbie Downer and a little black rain cloud and all that stuff. I call myself more of a realist. When, when, when there's something to be happy about, I'm happy. When there's something not to be happy about, I have a hard time faking it sometimes. All that being said, a lot of these people that I just referred to is often considered people who just believe in positive thinking. I'm just, just positive about everything. Everything always has a positive. But positive thinking and faith are not the same thing. Positive thinking and faith are not the same thing. Positive thinking works in one situation. It works in situations where you have control over the situation. For instance, if you believe that you're going to do a good job on a project at work tomorrow, more than likely you will. You go into it believing that you're going to do that. It's because you have control over that. You could say, I, I hope my mom is going to live, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's going to change whether she lives or not. You could say, I hope so-and-so doesn't get hurt in that accident. You can, be, you can think very positive about it, but it's not necessarily going to stop a person from getting hurt. All the poor sports fans here tonight that I hope my team wins. You can be positive about it all you want, but that ain't going to change nothing. I've heard people pray that God would help their team win. I asked somebody one time, I said, well, don't you think people on the other side of that ball is praying for their team to win? Aren't you glad you're not God? Whose prayer are you going to answer? But I come to the conclusion that God really don't care which team wins. But all of these things, is, it's positive thinking, it's, it's wishful thinking. Positive thinking is worthless to me in situations that are out of your control, especially when you've come to a dead end in your life. You can think positive all you want, but it's not necessarily going to change anything. More than likely it will not. When you come to a dead end, you need more than just a nice, happy thought. There has to be... A, a quantity of quality faith. There's got to be. I'll give you another example. <clears throat> you could say here tonight that I just believe that I'm going to grow up and look like, and you could name some famous person. You can believe that all you want, but it probably is not going to happen. You can say it all you want, but it isn't going to make you look like that famous person. The only thing that changes circumstances 
that are beyond our control is having a content of quality faith in God. Faith in God works when things are out of your control. And most of life is beyond our control. Yes, it is. So you need faith in God far more than you need happy, positive, think pretty thoughts. Not opposed to happy, positive, think pretty thoughts, but somewhere along the line, you got to dig a whole lot deeper and cultivate a faith-based relationship with God. So when you get to a dead end, you need to remember what God can do. What is impossible with men is possible with God. So remember what God can do. Number two, learn how to rely on the promise of God in the face of all the bleakness, in face of all the darkness, in face, in faith, in, in, in face of all the doubt and all of that and all of the impossibilities, we still have to rely on God's promise. The Bible said in reference to Abraham, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations. One translation said, when hope was dead within him, when hope was dead within him, Abraham, Abraham went on hoping in faith. He relied on the word of God. When hope was dead within him, when he had no physical possibility of fathering a child, he still believed in the promise and he relied on the promise that God made to him. I don't know what that means to you, but I think that's pretty huge. Have you ever felt that way? That hope was dying inside of you? How many of you have yourself or have family member that, that's faced a surgical procedure where the doctor came out and said, we're going to do this surgery, but there's really no hope of survival. Where do you go from there? We have a lot of faith in doctors. We have a lot of faith in medicine and so on. But when the doctor says, there's nothing more I can do, I heard that in reference to someone just this week, just yesterday, day before yesterday, where the doctor visited a relative of mine out of state and, and told this person, there's nothing else we can do. We've done all for you medically that can be done. So where do you go from there? At some point, you shift your faith and trust from perhaps that doctor or that medication. You're forced, if you will, to shift it to God. I've heard people say many times throughout my life, if God doesn't take care of this, there's no other hope. I think sometimes we use blanket words when we, I call them blanket words, the all-inclusive words. When we get to these points in our life where it's just, to us, it's hopeless. There's just nowhere to go from here. And then we start using the word never. I'm never going to get a good job. I'm never going to be able to buy a house. I'm never going to be happy again. I'm never going to change. We use these all-inclusive words as never, 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 never. And so you allow, you allow hope to die within you. So what do you do when, hopes, when hope starts dying within you vacation ain't gonna help taking a few days off of work's not gonna help you notice what you do 
I wish everybody could understand this tonight. That This will help all of us here tonight if we can understand it. The Bible said about Abraham, when hope within him was dead, when there was nothing else he could do, there was no more he could do. Having a child, fathering a child, was completely out of his hands. There was nothing he could do. Hope within himself, the Bible said, was dead. It died. But Abraham went on hoping in faith. So he took the hope that he once had within himself to be able to father a child, and he put that same hope that he used to have in himself, he put it in God's hands. I know you folks know all this, but we have a hard time applying it. And that, that's where the breach is for, for most Christian people. Yeah, I have faith. Yeah, I have faith. Until you're up against something that you're, you can't fix. And it's hard to take faith out of yourself or out of established, visible things and put it into someone else. Abraham put his hope in his faith. This isn't just wishful thinking. This isn't just positive thinking. This is hoping in faith. This is faith in God. This is you keep on believing even when it's hopeless. How do you keep on believing when you feel like doubting? How do you keep believing when you feel like doubting? How do you keep believing when all there's left to do but doubt? What do you do when you feel like giving up? The Bible said, bottom line about Abraham, he relied on what God told him. And if God, if you don't make this happen... It ain't going to happen. And if it doesn't happen, God, it ain't because I didn't believe it. And then you throw the ball back on God's court. We've lived this way often, many times in our life, Sister Murphy and I have. If you're going to be a man or woman of faith, if you're going to be we're all envious of people of faith. Man, I just wish I had faith like that. If you could dig into that person's life that has all this faith, there's a key to it. When you have no more faith in yourself and hope dies within you, what do you default to? And I've taught this before. I've preached this before many times. You turn to the Word of God. Now, I know it sounds elementary. It sounds generic and all of that. And if you don't have some Scripture committed to memory, you will flounder. And I've known scores of people that's lost out with God. Hope died within them, and they blamed it on God. They gave up hope and then said, God didn't come through for me. That's not how this works. When your faith dies, when your hope dies, that doesn't mean God's done. Just because you're done doesn't mean God's done. Do you all understand that? So you have to put some things in your mind to, to lean on. Does anybody, can you quote Matthew 19, 26? Do you even know what that verse says? That with God, everything is possible. In Romans 8, 31, what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? You know, John 14, 18, Jesus said, I will not leave you comfortless, but I will come to you. 
Jesus said in Matthew 28, 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. In 2 Kings 6, 16, he answered and said, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. The psalmist, Psalm 23, verse 1, we should all be able to quote it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want or I shall not lack. When you get the promises of God in your life, you will be able to hope in faith. Even when you have no more faith in yourself, you have no more hope for yourself. There's nothing more physically, mentally, emotionally you can do. You take what you have and you remind yourself of the promise of God and you stand off of whatever it was you're standing on and you stand on the promise of God. I don't know how else to say it. When you come to a dead end, you rely on the promises of God. While God was testing him, Abraham, while God was testing him, Abraham still trusted in God and his promise. Abraham was tested by God. I gave you Isaac, I want him back. And so as God was testing Abraham to see if he would obey, Abraham was testing God to see if he'd keep his promise. It's a test. You know the story. Isaac grows up and God says, I want you to give him back to me. I want you to sacrifice him to me. But Abraham didn't panic. I would have. I'd probably gone into cardiac arrest. Just being honest. Abraham didn't panic. God says, give me your son back. Sacrifice him to me. Abraham didn't panic. And the Bible tells us, gives us three reasons why he didn't. First of all, first and right, first thing that came to his head. And Abraham that had no precedent for this. To my knowledge, he had no biblical precedent for this. But he believed that God would raise him from the dead. If, if, if Abraham sacrificed and killed Isaac, he believed that God would raise him from the dead. Now, where did Abraham get that from? Now, if it had been in the middle of a book of Acts, oh, yeah, God raises people from the dead all the time. But uh, Abraham didn't have that precedent set like we do. The Bible said in Hebrews eleven nineteen, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. When he is telling his servant, when Abraham is telling his servant, me and the lad are going to go up there on the hill and sacrifice, and we will be back. Not I, we. He fully intended to bring his son back down that mountain with him. When his little son Isaac was walking up the hill, and he says, Dad, where's the, where's the lamb we're going to sacrifice today? Abraham said, the Lord will provide one. Faith, man, faith. <laughs> I don't know how he did it. I don't believe he loved his son any less than we would love ours. He had every intention and no doubt that God was going to spare his son or resurrect him from the dead. Why? It's because he was relying on the promise of God. Here's the big test in your life. What are you going to do when God asks you, I want you to sacrifice your greatest dream to me? It's the ultimate test of faith. When God says, the thing you value most in life what you want most in life, what you crave most in life, will you offer it on the altar to me? It's a test. What will you do? Will you do what Abraham did? I remember a, a number of years ago when we were in Baker. Y'all remember Yvonne Thompson? Uh, she's actually 
uh, helping Brother Marilyn and Sister Christy in their church. She's been there now for, I think, over a year, helping them in all the ways that she can, and she's such an amazing person. But when we pastored in Baker, um, she's always had this huge passion for the kingdom of God. And if there's anybody that can grow where she planted, wherever she's planted, it's Yvonne Thompson. I, I've, I've never known another person like her. She came to me one time, and Sister Murphy said, I have to have a long talk with y'all. I believe God wants me to go do some missions work in Chad, Africa. And uh, we heard her story, and I stared at her for a little while and said, can I pray about it and get back to you? We met a few days later, and I said, I don't believe it's the will of God for you to do that. And she said, well, Pastor, I've, I've told people. I've told my job. She worked at State Forum right here on WAX and told them I was leaving and told all my friends and family that I'm going and all of that. And I said, well, I'm very sorry, but you asked me what I thought about it, and I'm telling you, I don't believe it's the will of God for you to do that right now. To this day, I can't give you an answer why I said that. She said, okay. Came back about a year later, and she said, that burden is still there. I said, pack your bags and go and stay as long as you feel like you need to, and she did. Stayed over there for six months, a year, whatever it was. Came back home, and uh, she was done with it. But she was willing to give her dream. Saved a lot of money. Told a lot of people. Was excited beyond measure. But she laid it all down for no good reason. But God ultimately fulfilled her, her dream and her desire. And uh, God has taken care of her all of her life. If you knew her whole story, especially financially, it is absolutely amazing how God has taken care of her. And I believe he gave God a conduit to do that. Romans 4.18, the Bible said about Abraham, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. One translation said, though it seemed Abraham's hope could not be fulfilled, though it seemed that his hope could not be fulfilled, he did become the father of many nations, exactly as God promised. Notice the word seemed. Things are never as bleak as they seem if you look at them from God's point of view. Believe you me, for the past two or three years, it seems like, We've been through some very dark and trying times, but here we are. And where it was dark and bleak to us, it was not like that with God. The disciples followed Jesus around for three and a half years. They thought he was going to set up his kingdom, and they would all be rulers. And one day they'd look up, and Jesus, they looked up, and Jesus was hanging on the cross, and he's dead. You talk about a dead end. They are devastated. We thought he was the Messiah. He's the, he's the son of God. How in the world... Can he be hanging on a cross? They didn't know that Easter was just a couple of days away. Come on, man. God specializes in turning dead situations around and resurrecting situations that look hopeless when we rely on the promise of God. A promise is as only as good as the integrity of the one who promised. And we understand that God cannot lie. The next thing I will have you here tonight when you're waiting on God is you rely on the promise of God. The next thing you do is you recognize the facts that are in faith. Recognize the facts that are in faith. Face them, but face them in faith. Recognize the facts of your life in faith. 
The Bible said again in Romans 4 about Abraham and being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God. One translation said, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead and Sarah's womb was also dead. He's being pretty blunt here, but still he did not waver with unbelief. One translation said, through faith he regarded the facts. Abraham recognizes that he and his wife are beyond childbearing years. He's 99 years old for crying out loud. She's 89 years old. It's a medical impossibility that they were going to have children. He doesn't deny the facts, but he faces those facts with his faith firmly planted in God. This is a very important, it's very important to get this. Faith doesn't ignore reality. Faith doesn't pretend you don't have a problem. Faith doesn't act like it's no difficulty. Faith is not denial. Please hear that. A lot of people think it is. Faith is facing the facts in your life without being discouraged by them. That's faith. It's not denying you have problems. It's not denying you have difficulties. It's not denying you're facing a dead end or hopeless situation from a human standpoint. It's facing the facts of problems in your life without being discouraged by them. That's faith. Some of you may be facing disease. Some of you may have loved ones who are facing incurable diseases. You cannot deny the diagnosis, but you can defy the verdict. There's a big difference. You cannot deny the diagnosis. It's not walking around saying, I don't have cancer. You may. They don't have cancer. They may. You cannot deny the diagnosis, but you can defy the verdict. And you can fight it and say, we're going to work, work at this. We're going to do all we can to beat it and to defy the verdict. Faith does not ask you to deny reality. Faith asks you to face the reality in your life without being discouraged by it. As time goes on, I haven't asked for permission to use this as a reference, but sometimes forgiveness is easier than permission. Hope it works out that way. I'm facing the bags with faith. But Maggie has become such an inspiration. When I saw her walk in Sunday, I, I just, I couldn't believe it. I don't want to belabor this point for the next weeks and weeks and weeks, but when something inspires me so much, it's just hard not to talk about it. This young lady, what, 13? She had a pretty major surgery on her back. If y'all don't mind, she had two long rods, two of them, not side by side, one up here in a little spot where she can bend and another one down here, cut from up here to about down in here somewhere, just cut her straight down. They straightened her back, put those rods in, screws and all that kind of stuff. She was here this past Sunday. Couldn't believe it. I told Sister Murphy at the age of 65, if, if, if I'd have had that done, I'd still be in the hospital probably, in the ICU probably. But here she is. She's back here tonight. I don't mean to embarrass her. But... Uh, I believe it was Shanna told me if I get the story straight, I'm going to get close. If it ain't perfect, she can straighten it out after church. But 
believe it was Hinesley, Hinesley that said, Mama, why don't we pray for Maggie and let God heal her just like that? Shannon gave a wonderful answer. And I remember when she did it. Uh, first of all, she said, we have prayed for Maggie. She said, I've prayed for her every morning that she'd wake up, that God would heal her back. And then what I remember is she had a prayer cloth. We, we anointed the prayer cloth and put it in her bed that God would heal her of this terrible situation she had with her back. God didn't do it. <clears throat> but on the same token, Shanna and her family never accepted the diagnosis. We're going to get her fixed. And we believe this was Shanna's posture is what I hear. Heard her say it several times. We believe God can heal her instantly. But if he doesn't, maybe God would use the doctors to heal her. I believe that. I mean, the, the writer of the book of Acts was a doctor. And God uses doctors. He used one to write at least two books in the Bible. Uh, he used, used them. And I believe that Shanna faced the reality of Maggie's situation and said, we're not going to roll over. We're going to pursue God with all of our might. And they did. But ultimately brought her to the hospital, and I believe that God can use the hands and expertise of a doctor. And they fixed her back, and she ought to be good to go for a long, long time because of that. And I thank God for that. My point is, is I've never heard Shanna question God as to why, and I've never heard her say, man, we're just worried to death that this is going to be a fail. Through this whole entire thing, there was just that solid basis of faith that never denied the diagnosis, but defied the fact that Maggie was going to live with that for the rest of her life. And I think that's an amazing thing. And I thank God that she's here tonight, sitting straight up in every kind of way, and uh, that God has ministered to her, and she's recovering so beautifully. I think we ought to give God some appreciation for that. <clears throat> the Lord it's faith and it's it's faith it's faith and I believe that the, the the Bryant family took their faith they ran it through the conduit of God and then God manifested it in the hands of some amazingly qualified doctors obviously in my opinion I've heard preachers preach you don't go to the doctor I, I know of a story where a woman didn't go to the doctor, she died, and people prayed for her for two or three weeks that God raised her from the dead. Sometimes there's a will of God about things. And it's the will of God, the will of God, the will of God, and you can pray and fast all you want. It's not going to change because it's the will of God otherwise. And I've, I've heard people say, I can, I'm going to pray and fast that there'll never be a rapture and I don't have to worry about being saved or not. You're wasting your time. That's going to happen no matter what. There's things going to happen no matter what. And, and we have to understand how to gauge our faith and so on. But I, I believe you need to be wise. Need be, you need to be prudent, but bottom line, don't let your faith fail. And these folks in this case did not, and I applaud them for that. <clears throat> so some of there's people here tonight that need to do some legitimate deep grieving in your life. Things did not turn out as you planned. What you dreamed for for your life didn't happen. There's people here tonight that there's things you're still dreaming is going to happen. They may not. And when your dreams don't come to pass like you want them to, you don't get bitter and angry at God. You have to assume that God knew what was best. And God only knows what he's saving you from by not letting your dreams and desires.
And boy, that's hard to understand sometimes. It's, it's a child's relationship with their parents. I remember it. Things I wanted to do, things I wanted to have. And my dad's favorite word was no. I'm convinced his favorite word was no. I don't know why we didn't call him no. It's just everything he said was no. But I think there were times when he did know what was best. And I didn't believe him. I was very angry, very upset as a child. And my daddy don't love me and all that kind of stuff. It was foolish, but looking back, I understand the wisdom of it now. Much the same way God deals with us. And sometimes we have to trust that God don't let us have things because he knows what's best. Let me move on. I'm running out of time again. Um, and I want to conclude with this tonight. I think the greatest manifestation of faith we can have in God, our greatest manifestation we, of faith that we have, that we can manifest it, that we have it in God, is to rejoice in anticipation. To rejoice in anticipation. Somebody said one time, you got to dance in advance. And I think sometimes when you expect, you joyfully expect God to act in your life and do good things, even when it's not the way you planned, he will do good things. You expect him to act. Abraham staggered not at the promise of God. That's a huge statement. We all of us have heard it all of our life. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Everything that happened to him, his life was not peachy. Read his story. His life was not a piece of cake. We, we gloss these things over sometimes and make it sound like all these people did was just walk from one end of earth to all the way to heaven on, a, 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 on lily pads and tiptoe through the tulips and all that kind of stuff. These folks had hard times, horrible, horrible, horrible times. But during all of that time, Abraham staggered not. He never doubted. He believed God for his faith and trust. Uh, it grew stronger and stronger, and he praised God for this blessing even before it happened, one translation said. He was completely sure that God was well able to do anything he promised. Notice, Abraham was, was excited and rejoiced even before things that he had hoped for happened. That is real faith to me, and you can thank God for something after it happens, and that's gratitude, but it's another thing to thank God for it before you ever get it. I don't have a specific memory with my kids. Maybe it happened, maybe it didn't. I'm sure Casey will remind me if it did. But I never remember her approaching birthday or her approaching Christmas or whatever. And her wanting us to buy her something and she comes up a week before and just starts every day, three or four times a day. I, I just want to thank y'all in advance, mom and dad, for getting that for me. I know this come this time next week I'm going to have whatever it was she wanted. I'm going to have that dial. I'm going to have that bicycle, whatever it was. I just I don't ever remember that happening. But I'm kind of thankful that it never did because it has sure been a way for her to get it. I just don't know if I could have woke up on her birthday and her not getting what she's been expecting. Now, sometimes she'd give us hints and, and just say directly, I'd like to have this for Christmas, but she never went so far as to say, I'm already excited, yay, 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 and act like she's already gotten it. She never did that. Had she done it, it would have sealed the deal for sure. We, we can be that way with God, and I can't imagine the pressure, if you will, it puts on God 
when we start just getting genuinely excited because we know God is going to come through and we're excited and we talk about it and we rejoice and all that kind of stuff kind of puts God on the spot. Again, you have to be willing to accept that if it's not the will of God, then so be it. Uh, people here tonight have had some tragic, tragic situations happen to them where they were so hopeful, but they're still here worshiping. They're still here believing, knowing that even though they didn't get their prayer answered, that God knew what was best. So folks, let's take our faith. I believe Grace Church is red hot right now. We're about to launch our, our connect groups and what have you. We've got to be open mind. Look, look, faith forward, faith forward, um, face forward, but faith forward into the great things that God's about to do through us. And let's go into this new season at Grace Church full of faith, full of expectancy, and uh, accepting the will of God for our life, whatever it is, what do you say? Thank the Lord. I appreciate all of you being here tonight. We normally, this is the first time we've had church on Wednesday night during the camp meeting, and I couldn't tell you when. But you showed up, and a uh, good crowd here tonight, and I'm so thankful, so very appreciative for it. Thank the Lord. God bless you. Let's come back here Sunday expecting God to do some great things. What do you say? Thank the Lord. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. You know, before y'all, it's a smaller group here tonight, y'all are so cozy and comfortable in your seat. Some of you haven't moved for a while. And I get a little bit of enjoyment by saying you're dismissed from sitting down because it just takes you a minute. Oh, man, I don't even feel like getting up right now. So, But if y'all keep sitting there, I'll, I got more. I can go on here tonight. So I'd hop on up if I was y'all while you have the chance. So. <laughs> I love you, folks. God bless you. We'll see you Sunday. <laughs>